indoctrinated by the spirit of this world that is still in the church. And you, you need to understand. And I can tell, I know where we live. It'll already stir up in people. Well, blood is thicker than water. But the blood of Christ is thicker than your family blood. It's thicker. It's more alive. It's eternal. And I saw some things. So I want to share with you what I saw. Number one. We each have a specific journey, but we all share similar paths. We each have a specific journey, but we all share similar pain. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 9, that the same afflictions you face are accomplished in your brethren all around the world. Pain is pain. Pain is pain. It doesn't matter if you're in a third world country or the leading nation on the face of the earth. Sorrow is sorrow. This pastor, Hassar Omega, when I met him, it was like I knew him my whole life. We were buddies. He opened up to me during the time there and he said, he told me his story. As a little boy, I believe it was 11 siblings, 11 or 13, and Kelly told you about my inability to remember details, but <laughs> truth is truth, man. Truth is going to flow from this platform. It don't matter where it hits. It's just the way it is. So 11, 13 siblings, big house, big house. As a little boy, he was told by his parents, you need to move. There's not enough food in here for everybody. Homeless. He was raised, rejected, lived pretty much in the bush, when he and his wife got married, they lived on the side of a sewage stream. Not a house. They laid on the bank of a carved out sewage stream. And please, again, when I tell you these things, don't let your soul immediately go to the, oh, that's not what I'm trying to tell you. She told me, she said, I knew when I married him, we had nothing. But it was the will of God. And she goes, Pastor John, sometimes God lets you live without so you can know him better. And I appreciate what I have today. They, they're, we think that their pain is the pictures we see. Oh, it's way deeper than that. People look at our nice SUVs and our nice cars and they don't know that we were abused as little girls. Abused as little boys, neglected, abandoned. What you need to know is what I saw. I saw that they've hurt where we hurt. They've been abandoned. They've been rejected. They are not crying because they don't have name brand tags in their clothes. They, the same sufferings that happen in our lives happen all over the world. We, because we're consumerist and because we're uh, Americans, we think the greatest form of tragedy and pain is not having new stuff. It's never in their vocabulary. It's never the deal. He pioneered this church and was opposed by local uh, church leaders and his friends who loved him said, don't go there. Don't go. Don't not that village. It was the conditions of the village were like this. You know the pictures you see on television of the little children walking on the garbage dump looking for food? That was about an hour and a half away. Theirs was like wooden post 
with sheet metal nailed, little pieces of corrugated old metal nailed to it with a tarp over the top. That was an, an average building there. But that isn't what they've talked about. They talked about their journey with the Lord and the rejection of family when they married outside of their tribes. And I saw... God, give me the ability to just say it clearly like you showed me in my heart. I don't, I don't want to give a commercial. I want to say it clearly. The first little girl I saw walking down the street, and she looked homeless. I saw Olivia. I saw my Isabel. This is somebody's little girl. And this little girl may not have nobody. And I was being taught by the Lord, the issue was not poverty, the issue was pain. And see, your world broadens when you stop superimposing here and abroad how you know how someone feels or what their experiences are. Because until you've walked in their shoes, you're getting your information off a picture and our lives are bigger than the pictures people see. The people on your row have been through stuff. They've buried people. They've been betrayed and abandoned and struggled. And these people have found, and we are finding, that being a Christian does not exempt us from pain. It means that we have sufficient grace to navigate every season, every circumstance, and live fruitful, beneficial, beautiful, joyful, glorious lives regardless God didn't eradicate those seasons of their lives. And see, you think sewage, you think concrete, round, things buried under the ground that's hidden. No, it was a sewage drain, and that's where they spent their honeymoon. And he didn't say it like, don't you feel sorry for me. Believe it or not, I'm telling you the truth. He told me laughing. His wife put her face in her hands and did the fat laugh. You know how you just... and. I can't, I'm not good at imitating. She goes, it was, smelled horrible. Our house, it was just right here. She goes, oh, but Pastor John, the Lord was so good to us and opened doors of ministry and we were able to preach the gospel. And I saw that my story was really kind of like their story, except the financial stuff was a little different. You need to know this today. There are an innumerable number of people that will swap with your life that you have sight unseen. This isn't a guilt. This is just to sober you. The temptations that we experience, the troubles we experience are common. The Bible says it's common. And you're not mine. Nobody knows. The trouble I've seen. No, common. Common. It kind of takes the drama out of it. We're not, you're not the first person that's ever been left. You're not the first person that's ever got a bad report. The issue is, is God of such substance in your life that you can navigate those places with capacity, with tenacity, with joy. 
Because the afflictions that you suffer are being accomplished in your brethren all around the world. Number two, joy in the life of the believer is inside out, not outside in. Inside out. It's not you get the circumstances right and then joy happens on the inside. The joy is already there and it is expressed in circumstances. I want to show you a clip of the pastor's wife here for just a moment. Up to now. Hold on, you're in here singing. What are you singing? I'm singing something sweeter than honey. Something sweeter than honey. The love of God in the lives of many. Something sweeter than honey. And a moment ago, you said something good's gonna happen today. Yes. You can feel it. I feel it. I feel it. Some blessing from the Lord, some hand from above. <laughs> and you said something you've never seen before. Yes. Well, let's see. Maybe. I believe it with you. Not maybe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> By what you think? <laughs> By what do you think? What do you think? Uh, something will happen today. Today's a day. Breakthrough. Breakthrough. The day of the Lord. Amen. I woke up every morning to Miss Evelyn sweeping her house. If you were to take broom straws and get a big round thing of them about that big and tie some string over it, she would, she didn't have a broom. She had this, and she would sweep the concrete floors in our house singing something sweeter than honey. I woke to that. I was not convicted because of my blessings. I was convicted because of my poverty. She woke up that day. She said, something's going to happen. That's why I got the video, the little iPad, and started recording it. What she didn't know was that the people at Christ Chapel, halfway around the world, 26 hours of travel, had been giving for several weeks to not only pay for the conference and pay for everybody that came to church to be fed that whole time and paid for the airfare, but because of your gifts, something was being delivered that day to her house. She had no idea. Oh, she knew. See, these, she showed me that you walk close enough with the Lord, you get feelings about stuff. We bought her a refrigerator. I asked the pastor, I said, Pastor, where I'm from, if you want to bless a man, you do something for his wife. What can we get your wife? He said, a refrigerator. So that day, we had it delivered to her house, and she came outside, and she looked at it, and she just walked away. <laughs> She walked back in the house and kind of composed herself. And she said, what is this? I said, it's a refrigerator for you. And she looked away from me and she said, I've been asking the father for seven years for a refrigerator. And today it is here. Bring it in. <laughs> Just bring it in. Bring it in. So when I preach to you today, please don't think I'm condescending or rebuking. I'm just giving you perspective. Her joy didn't happen when the refrigerator came in. It didn't have as much joy as I thought it was going to have. It was wonderful. Bring it in. 
The joy was in the morning sweeping with a broom. Because we think joy is outside in. If I just get this job, if I just get this house, if I just find a spouse, if I just have a child, then joy comes. And and to some measure, yes, that happens. But the joy from God is the abiding presence of the Lord in your life with a daily partaking of that sense of God that brings you a fountain of joy. I told her, she thanked me and Dex over and over. I said, Miss Evelyn, I didn't buy this refrigerator for you. Your brother and sisters all the way across the world in a little town, and I called it Makanga. They liked that. <laughs> We're from Makanga. I said, they, they wanted you to have this. And she said, tell them thank you for me. We, they fed us the best I can tell they saved to feed us. And one person in the village has a refrigerator about that big. And she was keeping meats in there for us. She's the only person that they knew of in Eldama Ravine with a refrigerator today. Now to me, to know that we were able to do that. And listen, there's still, you don't get hung up on just everybody doesn't have nothing. But there was a pastor's wife that used to sleep on the lip of a sewer bank that has something in her den that reminds her every day now of how precious she is to the Lord. And we were part of that. And it was beautiful. Joy is the fruit, the evidence of our connection to Christ and the consistent partaking of the Holy Spirit. Joy is not the result of a perfect environment, but a perfect heart. Joy does not come when your life is easy, but it comes when your life is not your own. Joy does not increase by accumulating things, but by giving things away. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Whom having not seen, you love, in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with unspeakable joy and full of glory. In the first point, I wanted to tell you they seem to be tougher than us. In the second point, I was exposed to the idea that they seem to be happier than us. And I wrote this in my notes yesterday, so I want to tell you just like I wrote it. I wrote, I need to say they seem to be happier because that might be offensive to some instead of just telling you the truth. They are happier. This is not to beat us up. I was there as a representative. I complain about cleaning a 3,500,000 foot house and she sweeps her concrete block uneven house bent over with straw and she's happier than I am. The people in that little church were happier than we are. So instead of guilt, it makes me, you know, if, if something's wrong, I would go to an earthly doctor. I, I think... The Lord didn't expose us to this to make us hang our head. We need to go to him and say, what's wrong then? Joy is supposed to be inside out, not outside in. We're supposed to have joy unspeakable. Now, they still have their sorrow and pain. See, joy doesn't eradicate those things, but it's more constant than those things. There's a supply. There's a flow. Number three, I saw that just like here, True ministry is costly, difficult, and comes with great opposition. 
when we did those outdoor services. And please, when I tell you this, don't think that I take credit for one thing. They've been praying for months and months and months and planning towards this. But we preached and the pastor told me, well, I preached and he interpreted, which that again, I'd never done that. That was really wild. It's like every few sentences, I'm like double Dutch, you know, trying to learn how to do it. He said, now, pastor, do not be frustrated. They will not come to where you are, but they will come out of the shops and listen. I'm like, really? So you set up your microphones and we're all out singing, dancing, and it's just crowds walking and coming and going. And he said, you're going to be quite the novelty in town. I said, what do you mean? He goes, many of them have never seen a white man in person. So I come out there and he introduced, he goes, Pastor John Wood from the United States. And like ants, <laughs> they came like, you know, that is a white man over there. That's a white man. That's, that's a white man right there. And they stood. <laughs> it, I'm serious. They checked me out. They stood. No chairs like this chairs, air conditioning. We're outside in the rain. And they stood all lined up outside the shops. 23 people gave their life to the Lord Jesus Christ in Kenya. When I was done with the sermon, I let the pastor cast the net because he's going to be there when I'm gone. And he was like, praise God, glory to God, glory to God. I said, well, pastor, how long does it take, you know, for, for like 23 converts, like just preaching? He said, we've never had anybody except outdoor. So please hear me. It wasn't because the guy from the United States came. There was something about us together that did something that had not happened for this great man of God before. And I'll get to that in a moment. Something together. I said, Pastor, how long has it took you, like for 23 people, to make first-time confessions of faith? He said, about two years, three years. There was something about us together. But opposition, we're preaching. We got demon-possessed people walking by. Screaming at us, cussing at us, cars. We're on a little sidewalk and they're driving up on the sidewalk, coming between us, flicking their lights at us. One drunk guy come up. How you know he was drunk? Us drunks know what drunk people look like. Hey, how do you know it was drunk? You ever had anybody ask you that? Anyway, he come up. And he was just, whoa, whoa, and the pastor was talking, and he would just push him a little bit. He just pushed me. And he would, you know, I don't know what they said, and they took advantage of that a lot. He would turn to him and just, blah, 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 blah. and I would ask him later, like, what'd you say? He goes, nothing, nothing. <laughs> so this big woman, big woman, I mean, she's on both sides of the family big, you know what I mean? Big woman come up from behind me with a stick. So I'm preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And y'all know how ADD I am. I mean, if you get up and move, I'm distracted. This lady beats him all in front of my service. Get, get. She's walking and he's like this. And she just beat him all up the street. Ben and my ushers, I want you to implement some of that for me. Cell phones going off. Whap. But it was hard. It, it seemed like you were preaching. When you were preaching, it seemed like you were pulling nails with your teeth. And 
See, they have joyful celebrations in the house, but they battle principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness and demonic opposition. One drunk man come up to pastor and he said, I'm going to burn your house down. I'm going to burn your church down. He put the mic down. Excuse me. I was like, oh, it's on now. I'm, I'm ready. I'm like, I take. Don't make me come out of retirement. Don't let this white skin fool you. I got something for you. You know. That pastor went over and grabbed him by the shirt. I'm like, I'm liking this kind of religion. We got, I have to be tactful with you. Would you please, do you mind? Maybe we could get together and have coffee and talk. He grabbed him by the shirt. He said, listen to me. My, 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 my soul just leapt when he said this because this was reflex. This wasn't planned out. You know, you're writing your email. You delete it so you can say it right. He said, threaten me all you want. You keep your mouth off of God's house. I'm like, yeah, what he said. We go together. So we're walking down to town the next day and pastor said, do not go by yourself. (laughs) I said, I didn't need nothing in town anyway. (laughs) But they struggle. We battle lack, or they battle lack, we battle apathy. They have little resources, we have little passion. They battle pagan traditions, we battle religious traditions. They battle darkness, we battle false light. We fight different demons here. They have demonic religions, occultic practices, and Christianity so distorted that men stand in their pulpit and claim to be the Son of God blatantly. They introduce themselves as Jehovah. We don't have that. We've got institutions that have made lost people think they're saved and carnal people think they live with God's blessing and... You're always going to have the best life and God's so happy with you. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a same demon, different dress. They're deceived in darkness. We're deceived in light. But ministry's hard. And he and his wife have had a hard way to go. And results, true results, are rare. But as ministers and as the body of Christ, we must know the truth so we can proclaim the truth. We must live separate from the world. We cannot look like the world and act like the world and listen to what the world listens to and watch what the world watches and be what the world is and then share Christ. There has to be some separation. And I'm not preaching legalism. That's not what I'm talking about. But there must be some difference than except. More so than just us saying, I believe in Jesus. Well, the demons believe that there is a Christ. And our ministry is powerless because there's not that, you keep your mouth off of God. There's separation. He told the man, burn my house down, but leave my church alone. I saw that God is not a means to an end. He is the end. No formulas taught. 
on how to get what you want from God, only childlike faith and patience. They were not looking for celebrities. They did not want to be entertained. They didn't want to listen to the stories. They sat on the end of their seats and asked me, preach the word to us. Teach the word to us. The hunger there. Church was four hours there. May I speak to the unsaid? You wouldn't come. I couldn't make it and you wouldn't come. Some would say, well, they don't have anything else to do. You're right. And we got so much to do that we'll do that if there's an opening in our schedule. I don't think we ought to have four-hour services. I can't preach four-hour service. I can't, I, I, physically, I'd have to get up to that. So I'm not saying we're doing church wrong. I'm saying... We ought to look in a mirror and see why we can sit at a ball game for four and a half hours and be happy when it goes into overtime. And we start shaking the watch at me if I run to 12.03. So I'm checking myself first. God's not a means to an end. He's the end. It's not I'll see you Sunday if I don't have anything else going on there is nothing else. That's it for them. Their little church. And by the way, their church was a, guys, you know, your shed out back, an extra large shed. Three, three of those size with the metal on the roof just nailed and open cutouts. It was a clay floor with a tarp rolled out. And please catch this. Don't feel sorry for those people. He never one time apologized for his building. He was just as happy as he could be for me to walk in. They'd hung their little lace on the uh, wooden beam, <laughs> just hung it up, hung a drape up against the metal. And we would have been, because we're so self-aware, you know, because we're status and position. Oh, I'm sorry about this. I'm sorry about this. I'm sorry that we don't have a crowd. We apologize all the way through our life because we are at the throne and we're making sure that people think we're wonderful. He was like, come on in, come on in, kicking stuff out of the way, just happy as he could be. God, we invite you into your house. Thank you that you're here waiting on us. And I was thinking, oh, you're not doing this to get a big building. You're not doing this to build a big ministry. You're doing this to get a big God. And I've learned from them, I don't feel guilty what I got. I just want to tweak what I got. And I want to repent of the things that are out of balance. It's like a spiritual chiropractic adjustment. You can hear God say, lay down. Put your face down. And he don't even ask you nothing. He goes, oh, you're scared to get up. I needed major adjustments in several areas that were not sin. They were blind spots. Uh, you know how and we've taught on this in our staff meeting and we went through Bishop Jake's series on seven steps to a turnaround and one of them was exposure, exposure. This guy comes in your office and buys you coffee and you just, oh, he's so great. Oh, he's, he's amazing. He may be the one. He bought me coffee. <laughs> Wrote a card too. Two cubicles over, there's a boy that wants to take you to Paris, but you ain't met him yet. 
and exposure. You expose to Clarence that wants to take you to Paris and Bubba bought you a coffee. And once you've been exposed to Clarence, you don't think Bubba's so hot no more. Right? There are graces in the lives of other believers that once you see them, you're not satisfied with what you have anymore. I gave them some stuff, but I didn't give them anything. He, they gave me exposure to spiritual realities. And there were some things in my life that were better than theirs. Things that I did, I'm doing better. I've gone further. And they gleaned from me willingly. So there was no guilt. It was exposure. They don't have the level of education that we have. The teaching, the preaching, the training. Uh, that's why they wanted me just to talk for hours on end. I, I have those things. But there's some of these other realities that I, I, I didn't have. Beggars look for the hand. Lovers look for the face. And some of us live as beggars always looking for the hand of God instead of for the face of God. And here's what I've learned. If you beg long enough, you may get something from God's hand, but you never see Him. But if you see His face and He looks into your eyes and you look into His, then the hand will follow. Those that get the face get the hand. But those that get the hand may never see the face of God. Number five. I saw that our blessing has become our cursing. For some of us, the worst thing in your life is not what you don't have, but that you have so much. I saw my sister-in-law the other day here at the church, and she said she had heard a missionary say, as he traveled around the world, that the one thing he heard from the people was, it seems you people in America never have enough. Could it be that your blessing is your cursing in your life? Your blessing could have exalted you, calloused you, tricked you, blinded you, could have dulled you and atrophied your soul. Many of us spiritually have become what we've seen in the news. And we who are more to the Republican slant, we get these diatribes and we talk about entitlement, 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 rightfully so. But we never talk about the spirit of spiritual entitlement. It says, do for me, do for me, do for me. And there's missing from our lives that look at what you've done for me. Look at what you've done for me. It's so hard to pull worship from ungrateful people. It's so hard. I don't care what style we bring. I don't care if we got ten singers or two singers. We're so blessed we're cursed. And God didn't bless us so we would forget him. He said, when I bless you and bring you into the land and give you houses that you didn't build and all of your livestock give forth, do not forget the Lord your God. Now that we can afford every sport, our children play every sport, and we get to God's house ten times a year. Don't be mad at me. I got little girls growing up that I'm going to have to teach this to. I want them to have full lives. I want them to take piano if they want to take piano. I want them to take ballet or dance or cheerleading or whatever they want to do. But it is my responsibility to let them know that God did not give us all of this so that we do everything. God gave us these things so that our lives would bring glory to God. And God goes first. 
first. First. And I know that some of you are going to send me an email, so just send it to Andy King at Christ Chapel. <laughs> WR.com. I was in a place that I couldn't drink the water. And there were no water hoses. The roads were impassable. Transportation system was 20-year-old vans with nine seats in them with 20 people in the van holding chickens and animals and everything else. No medicine, no freedoms, governmental corruption. And I did not, I was there two weeks and I did not hear one complaint. I did not hear one sigh. And I did not hear any talk of what they didn't have. And I guess what I'm trying to tell you, and I don't want you, again, we're not talking about guilt. I just want that. I, I want that for me. And I'm going to pursue that. And to state that I'm going to pursue that is admitting to you that I don't have that. But I've been exposed to it now. And Bubba's not impressing me no more. You follow me? Is this okay? Let me share this with you. Nothing but poisonous plants grow in the fields of ingratitude. Nothing but poisonous plants grow in the field of ingratitude. If God did not want us to have these blessings, we would not have them. He only wants us to acknowledge Him and be grateful for the things we have. They seem to be richer than us. They seem to be tougher than us. They seem to be uh, more joyful than us. And they seem to be richer than us. Our normal is not normal. My experience is not it's common here, but many of them walk three plus miles, kilometers to church every day with their families. Some of them, it took them five hours to get to church. Five. And then stayed four hours. Now, they didn't do everything right. You know how I get on to us about being late? And some of y'all are still late, and God's going to get you horribly for that. I'm going to pray that you are just as late to work as you are to church. You be, dear pastor, please pray for me. I need a job now. <laughs> they don't do punctual. Merciful Lord, they don't do punctual. Church starts at 1030. We're in his house. It's 1130. I said, pastor, we, we'll go in a little bit. They're just singing, going on. It was just, you get there when you get there because you're going to be there all day. So I think we could, I, I was telling him I was going to help him with the punctual part because he just laughed at me. I'd look at my watch. I'd, mm, mm. He thought that was really funny. And then he would go stand at the door and he'd go, we go now. I'm like, praise the Lord. It's about time we, we go now. Our normal is not normal. We have all these riches and in our culture, we dress to look like we're poor. <laughs> they have nothing, and they dress with the nicest clothes they can find. I just leave that for your own. You can talk that over at lunch. I don't get it. Ooh, I got this shirt for $85. It looks, you know, it's the seven-year-old look, like it's been to Beirut and back, you know, and I didn't pay but $65 for it. Okay, anyway. But somebody on TV told me it was cool, so I bought it, and it's really nice. They have a reverence for God's house. 
They feel deeply. They worship freely. One pastor, when I said, you okay today, buddy? You don't look like you feel well. He said, oh, I'm blessed. I'm just a little tired. I said, you not rest last night? He goes, oh, no, we, had the, we prayed all night for service today. Just natural, just all night. My, my, my prayer is that we just be knocked a little off of normal so we can go back and say, Lord, adjust my heart. We talk about finding time for quiet time and they block off all night long because church was coming up the next day. And he wanted the will of the Lord to be done. And it wasn't everybody, but they had four or five people that prayed all night long. Let me tell you this. I also saw that we do many things well. Many things well. This church, I can only speak for us, we love well. We love freely. We love without prejudice. We love authentically and we love from the heart. When I saw them, you know, I saw so many things that we didn't do well. My spiritual man swelled up and like, we got you on this one. We as good as y'all are on this one. I, we are. And, it, you know, it's not a self-deprecation. We, we love just like they do. Makes me proud of our church because the greatest of these is love. And we love powerfully. Our new emphasis on home fellowship and our home groups. We, we are pursuing this. They do this. The breaking of bread. The prayer. The teaching of the word of God. The sharing of lives. We care well. Christ Chapel is sympathetic. We are thoughtful. Thoughtful with our actions. Thoughtful with our words. And thoughtful with our gifts. And we give well in this place. Individually, not just through this house, but individually. The people in this church give their lives away to other people. They open their homes. They open their lives. They give away their possessions. They give away their cars. We give well, joyfully, willfully, freely, and generously. We took this church, six corded mics. They only had one that lead singer would sing. And that's why I showed you that introduction of going into the church. All the people on stage had mics. We left them, uh, we took them two wireless handsets and I left them my wireless headset there. And uh, we, we were expressing, but it wasn't because we were going to Kenya. We've been doing this the whole history of our church. We had six vans. We got down to one van and someone asked us the other day, said, what happened to your vans? And we gave them away. And when I tell people in our church, what, when we give it away, their heart leaps within them because we give well so don't think we're, God's thrown us out to the wolves, but there's some things that need to be adjusted. We need to be more grateful. We need to be more centered on God. We need to be more joyful in the Lord. But we as a church, we give well and care well and love well. God has designed us to be the answer for other people. Guys, I'm going to have to skip this video. We're going to run out of time. God has designed us to be the answer for other people. As individuals and collectively and as a local body of believers, I saw more clearly than ever before something that I knew, but I know greater now, that I was designed to be someone else's answer. Oh, you mean to say Jesus? No. Jesus is in me. And I have been shaped and designed to be someone else's answer. Listen to this. 
We are to be strength for weak people, company for lonely people, encouragement for discouraged people. We are to be light for those in darkness, a way out for those in bondage, and hope for the helpless. We are to open our hearts to those who are hard to love and our homes to those without a family. We are designed to be the answer to someone's prayer, provision for their lack, replacement for their loss, supply for their need. I did not go to Kenya to preach to them, but I was sent to Kenya to be introduced to them. One of the reasons Christ Chapel exists in the earth is to help this church in Kenya. They don't have resources. We got resources. They don't have a covering. We have a covering. I believe God connected me with this house, not so I could talk to them, but that I could be through you the answer to their prayer. I've not even told my wife this. When she said, I have prayed for seven years, I saw that unknowing to us, we were the answer to her prayer. You are designed individually, and we are collectively. Not just for them, but for them too, specifically. We're going to support them, we're going to pray for them, and we're going to carry them. We are one of their missing pieces. When I got ready to go home, I felt like I was to leave everything there, which you'll hear missionaries and people that go on world race, they'll say, I just left all my clothes there and Initially, my thought was, I'm, not, I'm going home with what I'm wearing. That's it. And I felt the Lord kind of correct me. First of all, I did leave everything there. Laptop, iPad, shoes, suit, ties, everything. They didn't wear jeans, so I took my jeans home. And they don't wear shorts, so I took my shorts home. <laughs> but we gave away all of our stuff there. But listen to me very carefully. I did not give them that stuff because it was the right thing to do. You don't have, I have, so you can have what I have. No. I believe the Lord has shared with me that we left them tokens of what's going to come in the future. Now, if you don't believe this, please don't respond. Does anybody feel a witness in their heart about they're just tokens left for them? Tokens of what's to come. I want to build them a building. I want to buy land for them. I had some other videos, but I'm, I'm not going to show them. We can at a later date if our musician would come. As surely as the Lord told us to start Christ chapels in these other areas, and God raised up ministers, and we've done it, and we've given... And I'm not boasting. I'm just, I'm just giving you examples. You know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars towards Galax from vans and equipment and other stuff. And we gave Warner Robbins 150 of our key leaders and people and resources and vans and equipment. And, you know, somehow we think in our mind, well, we think missions work. And we think like, oh, never in this house. That is my brother. And he doesn't have anything. And I'm an answer. And we're an answer. Okay? I'm trying to work it out. I'd like to get them here in uh, 
December. And let him come preach the word of God to you and let you meet he and his precious wife. Would you like that? Amen. Would you cut off the recorder for me, guys, wherever the DVD, CD recorder is? Let me tell you the first thing I want to do. 